All right. Hey, good morning, guys. It is so uh, good to see you all here today at Living Hope Church. Uh, like Joe said, my name is Mike Sandusky. I'm the lead pastor here at Living Hope. And, uh, and actually, if you are new to the church or you've been coming the last few weeks, uh, you might have been wondering, who is the lead pastor of this church? Because I haven't preached in a little bit of time. And a lot of times I think we associate, uh, you know, the person preaching, that's the, that's the lead pastor of the church. But uh, I want to highlight something to you that I think is really important about who we are and who we're called to be as the church, which is the Bible actually says that God has created what is called a priesthood of believers in the church. Uh, and that uh, what that means is that each and every, like, think about that, a priesthood of believers. Uh, this, this phrase is in the New Testament describing the church. And the idea is that all of us together are called to some level uh, of ministry that in the Old Testament was reserved uh, for sort of the priesthood. And, uh, but we ourselves, we administer the grace of God together. And so part of that is uh, we want to be a church that highlights that God is calling all his people, uh, that everyone has something to contribute. When we like to develop uh, Bible teaching gifts, we like to develop preaching gifts. And, and so that's why you'll see oftentimes uh, other people preaching here at Living Hope Church is that we want to equip the same for the work of ministry. We want to equip our leaders to preach. Uh, this is not, uh, this is, the, like, church is not, and I think in the West, this has gotten a little bit lost. Like, uh, you know, we've got mega churches where you've got pastors that like, you know, they preach to crowds of thousands and, and that takes some rare gifting. Uh, and there's, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but the, the, the reality is we don't want to view the pastoral ministry, we don't want to view like preaching as like a professional job. Like, uh, I don't know if, how familiar you are with the New Testament, but Jesus called like fishermen and, and sent them out uh, to preach the gospel. He turned them into something when they encountered him. Uh, there's several stories in the New Testament. One where Jesus meets a guy who, uh, you guys ever heard, like remember the story of Legion? Like uh, the dude who's got so many demons in him uh, that they say our name is Legion for we are many. Like he's super demon possessed. That's a pretty bad spiritual state to be in. If you read that story, uh, I think a lot of times we see the craziness of, of Jesus casting out these demons. And, uh, but I think the craziest thing of all is that at the end of that story, the guy says, hey Jesus, can I come with you? Uh, and Jesus says, uh, no. He says, go tell everyone how much mercy God has shown on you. And God turns this guy who was demon-possessed into a preacher of the gospel. And, uh, and then the region is so impacted by uh, the message of Jesus that was preached by this guy who, by all means, was unqualified to do it, uh, but he was sent. Uh, and so Jesus sending us is what qualifies us. Uh, and that whole region actually reached out and invited Jesus. So I say that to say, like, I want to give you some vision for a church uh, that is full of people doing ministry. Does that make sense? Not just like a pastor preaching, but a people doing ministry. And up here as I'm preaching, my goal is not just to primarily teach you, but to equip you, to stir you to do the work of ministry yourself. Uh, and, and so today, uh, we're really, we're gonna, we're gonna I, I hope today, my heart today is, is that uh, today would be a day where uh, either you are, your fire for going uh, in the name of God and in the purposes of God would be rekindled, uh, or maybe today you're, you're not sure what your purpose is, or you've been chasing empty purpose. Uh, my, my hope today is that God would redirect your life today uh, into something glorious and wonderful that you were made for, uh, that's better than anything else you can pursue or have in this 
world. Uh, and so uh, saying that, we're going to be in Galatians 4, uh, the first 11 verses, 1 through 11. And really, we're going we're gonna to highlight uh, the second set of verses uh, in, this, in this portion. Last week, Tyler Saxton, uh, who is our worship director, he's also one of our drummers, uh, he preached uh, at, uh, on the end of Galatians 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And the big theme of, of this section of scripture, like we're going to see a little bit of it today as I read, is that when you and I, when we come to faith in Jesus, we, are, uh, we aren't just forgiven uh, and redeemed, uh, we are made sons and daughters of God. Like we are given new status uh, in, uh, in God. Like we're given new status with Christ. The Bible says we are fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, and that's a radical idea. It's a huge idea. It's so important that you understand this identity shift that happens when you come to faith in Jesus. Not just that you're born again, but that you are, God looks at you and he sees you and he calls you a son or he calls you a daughter. Uh, and, uh, and so this is the big theme of the end of Galatians 3 and the beginning of Galatians 4 is to know your status. Uh, and so we're going to see some of that today and then we're going to read a little bit extra uh, and then we're going to jump into it here. So this is Galatians 4. 1 through 11. And this is what uh, the Word of God says. It says, I mean that the heir, all right, what's an heir? An heir is a, is a child uh, of someone uh, who, who has something to inherit. Uh, the heir, as long as he is a child, he is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So Paul is, he's continuing to kind of beat on this drum. When you come to Christ, you are given a spirit that cries out from the inward parts of your soul, Abba, Father. You become a son, you become a daughter through Christ. Paul says, formally, when you did not know God. So before you were a Christian, before you knew Jesus before you received him, it says you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You were pursuing things that had no real power, had no real authority. They were not gods, but you were enslaved to them before, before you came to Jesus. But now, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless principles, I'm sorry, the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I may have labored in vain or over you in vain. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I pray this morning that you would stir our hearts greatly, 
uh, as we read this passage. Lord, that this morning we would, we would truly understand what it means that we have been redeemed forever. We have been adopted forever, forgiven forever, called forever. Lord, you have a purpose for us that is not passing away, but is rather eternal and secure because of the work of Christ and our faith in that work of Christ. Lord, I pray today you would wake our souls up and put a fire in us for your glory and your goodness. And Lord, I ask that you would stir us. Lord, some of us, we have a temptation to turn back to the ways of this world, to get enslaved with money and career uh, and, and pleasure and selfishness uh, and hobbies and, and entertainment and all sorts of other things that this world says we're meant to live for. Father, I pray this morning that you would break loose the chains, uh, that Lord, we would turn uh, back to you because it's for freedom that you've set us free. And Jesus, I pray for freedom this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't just uh, remind us, but uh, Lord, you would send us out of here today with a renewed sense of call and purpose to go in your name. Lord, you are building your church. Your kingdom is coming, and it turns out right now it's happening. Lord, you are building your church. Lord, in this city, you are building your church. In your word, you say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I pray today you raise up laborers in this room to send into the harvest. God, that, that, that our city would be changed, our workplaces would be changed, this region would be changed. God, I pray you, you, you put gifting and calling in hearts today. Lord, earlier as I, I was talking about ministry of believers, Lord, I pray, God, raise up uh, pastors today, raise up uh, Bible teachers today, raise up leaders and church planters today. Father, raise up evangelists today. Lord, raise, raise up shepherds, raise up servants today, raise up ministers of your gospel today in this room, Lord. I pray that you would do this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. We come to church for a purpose, right? To, 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 to not just check a checkbox off, but to encounter a living God and to leave here changed and transformed. And I hope today God does this in us and through us. In, in this portion of scripture here, right, again, he's making a glorious case, right? He's making a wonderful, amazing case, that you, I don't want you to miss this out. I don't want, to, I don't want you to miss this, right? Like, like, who you are, the son and daughter of, matters a lot in this world, right? Think about that. Like, the family you're born into dictates so much uh, about your life. Uh, it depends, it determines where you live. It determines the culture you grow up in. It determines your future inheritance. It determines the wisdom you get. It determines the status you have. It determines so much about who we are. And yet so often we're born uh, into broken families or we're born into, uh, we're born into to, as sons and daughters in places that just maybe aren't ideal. And here the Bible is saying something glorious has happened, that regardless of who you are, regardless of who your earthly parents are, when you believe in Christ, you aren't just forgiven and you are forgiven. You aren't just called righteous and you are called righteous when you receive Jesus you aren't just promised eternal life, and you are promised eternal life that's already yours and secure. It's not something you're waiting for. It's something that is alive in your life right now. But you're not just given those things. You are also given a brand new and secure identity as sons and daughters of God. This is a great and wonderful gift our spiritual position changes dramatically when we receive Christ. Formerly, we were not sons and daughters of God. Now we are. We're co-heirs. Think about this. Think about where you're at in your life right now. Some of you in here, you're feeling burdened or you're feeling, you're feeling like, man, I just never measure up. 
God is not an abusive father. He's a good, good father. And he wants to kneel down with you and lift you up. I think a lot of times we think of ourselves as, as sort of mature, like adult-type Christians. The Bible's like, no, no, no. Think, Jesus is like, think of yourself like children. Be like the little children. And I would say that's a more accurate, like imagine a really good father and like, like a two-year-old, right? Two-year-olds can't do much. That's basically who you are spiritually. You're not that good, right? Like you're toddling around, falling over. Like you get distracted by the shiny thing over here. Uh, and, and God the Father the whole time is like, come, come here. But when you fall over, there's a father like, come on, get up, right? No, no, no. A good father with a toddler goes up like you're just learning to walk, and they kneel and they pick you up. And some of you today, you've fallen over, you've stumbled, you've lost your way a bit, and God wants to come to you and, and lift you up and remind you, you're my son whom I love. You're my daughter. He's gonna need, he just wants to get, and he's going to say, you're my daughter who I love. And he lifts you up, and he says, come, he takes you by the hand, and he says, come with me. Not by your strength, but being guided by the Father into his glory, into his purpose, into his plan. The life of Christianity is not a life of, of work. It's not a life of, of, of all this effort. It's a life of glory. It does say it comes with suffering, but it's a life where the glory far outweighs the suffering. It's a life that when you really see, oh my goodness, this is the God of the universe, and he, he takes me by the hand, and he lifts me up. He saves me by his grace, and he maintains me by his grace, and he calls me by his grace. And he shows me his kingdom by his grace. And I get to see life transformation by his grace. And when things go wrong, he, he helps me by his grace. He comforts me by his grace. He makes me stronger when the world feels like it's defeated me and crushed me. That's one of the craziest mysteries of Christianity. Is that when we suffer, God actually uses that suffering to form in us treasure in our souls. You can't get any other way. Right, so not only does he walk with you in his suffering, he transforms you in our suffering, which will come as we walk faithfully in him. Right, this is a glorious case. Like, I just, I don't want you to miss this. The fact that you are a son and daughter, like, that's your status. I know many people who, when they think of religion, they do not think of a loving father kneeling down and lifting up a bruised and beat up toddler. That's not how they think about God. I often think about an angry God who's, who's yelling at, like, neighborhood kids, <laughs> get off the grass, you know. But God is a father, and you are his son or his daughter, if you are in Christ. Right? And, and let, me tell you, let me talk about this. Conversion to Christianity, becoming a Christian. It, it's not just an agreement about some statements from the Bible. You're not like, oh, yeah, okay, I think the Bible's true, and I just go about my life. It's not an insurance policy. Like, this life is mine, and when I die, I go to heaven, but for, and occasionally I acknowledge God. You know, I give, him, I give him maybe 8% of my money, but I'll say it's 10%. I give him, you know, 5% of my time. I give him 5% of my heart, but then the rest of my life is mine. Right, something is really wrong with your faith if that's where you're at. I just want you to know. Like, not to your detriment, but to, like, God wants to save you from yourself. All of the life that you give to yourself, you will ruin and destroy, and it, it, it won't end in, in eternal fruitfulness. It'll, it'll end in passing pleasure and, and things that don't satisfy and depression and darkness and, and concern and anxiety. Christianity isn't about agreeing to some statements while you live your own life. Christianity is a full surrender to the reality of who Christ is. And I, and I start with that because it, when you, it, it really is about seeing who Jesus is. He says in the Bible a lot, he says, he, they who, uh, like, he who has ears, let him hear. 
He who has eyes, let him see. It's possible to have ears and not hear. It's possible to have eyes and not see. It's possible to have ears and hear the word of God and not hear the word of God. It's possible to have eyes to see the glory of Jesus in, uh, on display and yet not see the glory of Jesus on display. But the thing that changes us most, it's not our own effort. It's not a, you know what, today I decided I'm going to be a good person. Or today I decided, it, it, it's, it's beholding the Lord. When you see Jesus, when you see who he really is, I believe we want to joyfully and fully surrender to him. Jesus tells a parable, he says, the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field, which when a man found, he buried, and in his joy, he sold all that he had to go buy that field. Right? Jesus is that treasure, that when you see him, right? I think when you think about treasure, we can think, well, what, what is treasure? Like Jesus is like a treasure, then imagine like, Imagine you had like a treasure that the more you use, the richer it became. Imagine you had a treasure that, that like, like the more, the more you, you, you dug, the deeper it got, the more enjoyable it got. All right, think about this. If, if you had like, you know, a, a drink, like a cup of water or something, and, and the more you drank, the fuller it got, and not just the fuller it got, the more satisfying it got. I believe that is who Jesus is. The more you drink of him, the richer he gets. The more you drink of him, the more you see how deep and, and how, how wide and how tall and long the love of God in Christ is to us. Coming to Christianity is recognizing who Jesus is and fully surrendering, saying, Lord, my life is not 10% yours. I'm not tithing my life to you. I'm giving it all. My hope, my dream, my desire, my career, these things, maybe you feel like you earned those things. Listen, you can feel that way. It's just not true. All that you have is a gift. And if you live your life like, I deserve this and I deserve that, one day God will say, who gave that to you? Are you going to look him and say, I, I, I did. <laughs> I'm not that bold. Humble yourselves and submit to God. Not out of, like, Again, I think there could be, like, when you really, like, think about this. When you really recognize the truth, when you believe the lie, submitting to God feels hard, right? When you think you've earned it, and you're like, well, God wants it anyway, that feels hard. But when you recognize, oh, my God, he gave this to me, and I have been using it for my own selfishness, and, and you realize, like, oh, Lord, I need, I need you. I need to fully, like, here, have it all. And when you realize as you give it all, he gives you more than you ask or imagine, right? Like as you experience this, it, it, it changes you. So Christianity, it's like, you, I got to get this right as a pastor. And I want you guys to have this right because I'm trying to equip you with how to go tell people. Like, you know, believing in Jesus uh, and fully surrendering to Jesus. Right? These are different things. The demons believed in Jesus, but they did not fully surrender to him. All right? They believed he was the son of God. In fact, they often said it. You notice that they run up to Jesus in the New Testament you know, holy one of God, do not cast us into the abyss. I know people who don't recognize Jesus that well. I mean, do demons have more faith? Let's hope not. I mean, they were not fully surrendered to the reality of who Christ was. Right, that's the first thing. We see Jesus, we fully surrender. It's also a recognition of our great need. So there's a humility here. A great, our great need, I didn't know everything I have in my life. The fact that I was born in America, you know whose fault that is? It ain't yours, it ain't mine. God put you in this place. He put you in this time. He gave you the skills and the gifts that you have, not to use for your own gain, but to worship him, to honor him, and to bless others. 
He gave you the time he gave you. He wants you to, he does want us to have joy, but he, like the greatest joy, the Bible says it's better to give than receive. Do you primarily use your gifts, your money, your energy, your time for yourself? Or do you give it to God? Do you serve others? Jesus says that's the better thing. There's a recognition of our great need, our, our, our actual position of forgiveness and redemption. And Christianity is finally, it's a powerful, transform, uh, pr- powerful transformation of our inward self. Right? It's not, we don't change from the outside in. We don't change our lives and then that changes our heart. Jesus changes our heart as we encounter him, as we surrender to him, as we recognize our need for him. Right? If you really think you need Jesus, guess what you do? You seek Jesus out each and every day. Again, like I said, the, the more you really see Jesus, I think we have a small view uh, of Jesus. Like we see like, oh, there's some treasure there, but like we haven't really dug in. When you realize like, oh my gosh, the depth of this is infinite and the width of this and the joy of this is infinite. What happens is you recognize who Jesus is, you submit more and more to him. You do it willfully, joyfully, and then he changes your heart. That's one of the powerful things of Christianity. It's not by your effort. It's not by your like, decision to become a better person. It's by your recognition of who Jesus is and fully surrendering to him. He changes you from the inside out. It's one of the great, hey, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> when one person claps, it, it comes up, it, you know, sorry. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, it's my, I just don't stop talking for the clapping. Uh, but here's the thing. If you are, are here today, right? Like, I want you to know this is good and glorious every day. It's ongoing and true even when you don't feel it. You're coming in here today and, and, and you may not feel it. And I don't, here's what I don't, want you, I don't want you to feel condemned. Remember, God is a father and he kneels down. And you're a toddler who, who falls over a lot because you, you're late to learning how to walk. So am I. And God is constantly lifting you up. And he's patching you up and he's saying, come with me. And then sometimes we think, oh, I can do this. And we let go of the Father's hand. And then we see a shiny thing. And we run over to the shiny thing, right? And we get distracted. And God's, God's sitting there he's saying, hey, come to me. I'm right here. Daughter, I'm right here, son. This is good and glorious every day. It's ongoing and true even when we don't feel it, even when we fall short, even when we're failing. This is good and glorious. It didn't start with your work. It didn't start with your effort. You don't maintain it by your work or your effort. It's by faith, right? There's this word, this old word. We need to bring it back. It's reckon, right? Reckon means uh, to, 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 it's hard to describe words uh, on the spot like this, but to reckon something is to walk as though uh, it's true, to acknowledge its truth, to, to give credence to its truth. So like we reckon the reality of the word of God. We reckon the reality that God is a father and we live our lives by it, right? Uh, it's deeper than uh, just belief. It's like uh, reckoning our faith is when we, you know, it's like you could look at like a bridge that looks kind of rough and you could say, oh, I believe that that will hold me. But to reckon faith is to actually walk on the bridge, to actually take the steps. And, and, and we, we, we've got to do this in our lives, uh, to reckon faith. It's not something we maintain by effort, but it's something we believe and we walk in God. And we're shocked as he, as he, uh, he moves in our lives. So if you're here today in Christ, which means you believe in Jesus and you've handed your life over to him, you are now a son or daughter in Christ. This is the big idea Paul's getting at. What he, where he transitions here is he tells us, he says, uh, he says, formally, when you did not know God, so he's saying, hey, remember who you were. Here's who you are now, son or daughter in God, secure forever. But remember who you were. Remember when you didn't know God. You were enslaved. Do you remember that, Slavery. You were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. 
But now you've come to know God, or rather be known by God. I like that, this idea that God knows us. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? He's pointing something out here. He's saying that it's possible for those who are sons and daughters of Christ to actually forget that, right? To let go of the Father's hand and to wander off into the shiny promise of this world, right? And then you go and you see this and it's like an empty like wrapper. Uh, and, uh, and it's like that's the promise of this world. It's empty hope, right? You get it and it doesn't satisfy Paul's saying it's possible for Christians to get distracted, to go back to our way of life, to go back to the things that we, we lived for before. He says, whose slaves do you want to be once more? He's saying these things enslave us. What he's saying here is that before we knew God, before we came to Christ, we were led by and enslaved to some other way of life, some other purpose, and some other thinking. And you can be tempted to live in other ways of life that are not the one Jesus is calling you to, other ways of thinking that are not uh, Jesus' way of thinking, and, and other ways, uh, uh, other means of purpose, right? You can live for purpose that is not very biblical. You can call it Christian all you want, but that doesn't make it true. Right? How do you know the truth? Well, you encounter it in Jesus. But it turns out that there are many other ways of life outside of Christianity. This is not a mystery or a profound thought. <clears throat> and it can be tempting for us to turn back to these things in the world. Paul in Galatians, uh, in, in this whole of the book, he, 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 he talks about two general uh, way, uh, ideas of weak and worthless elementary principles. He says that. We get enslaved to the weak, and you're like, what are these elementary principles? Well, they, it is kind of what it sounds like. These are, these are like basic. They seem logical. This is why they're tempting to us. They have promise, and they seem logical, right? I'll give you an example of one of them, and then I'll, t- I'll g- uh, like, like, you know, working and making money, right? Like, it's logical. I do work. Someone gives me money. Uh, I get that money, I, have, I can do more stuff. So money leads to freedom, it leads to joy, it leads to this. And so if I work more and I get more money, uh, then I'll finally be satisfied, right? And it's like, well, okay, I gotta go to college and now I have student loans, okay? So I'll get a job. Well, I gotta get an entry-level job because I just got out of school and, and, and I've got a bunch of loans. And so it's, t- and actually, oh man, the loans are really adding up. Well, now I gotta buy a house, so I gotta get another loan, okay? And... Okay, well, now I'm paying this stuff off. Well, you know what? I don't want to do this alone. I should get married. I want to get married. Then I'm going to have kids. That's cheap, right? Uh, oh, wait, I got to get a bigger house because uh, I bought the bachelor pad, right? And, and what you realize is, right? And then it's like, okay, I'll work. Well, then I have kids. And you're like, well, this is a lot. Of, I don't feel very free now that I have kids. You know what? When they're a little bit older, then I'll be free. They graduate. Well, you know what? I'll help pay for the college. Uh-oh. You know what, I've, I've never had my dream home. I'm in my 40s, I've never had my dream home. You know, I deserve a dream home. I've worked hard. You can see how subtly we get led astray into other ways. Of th- Jesus is like, don't be anxious about anything. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll add everything you need. And yet what we do, we seek first building our own kingdoms. Most of us spend about 90% of our time building our kingdom. When Jesus says, no, 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 seek first the kingdom of God. And what are we seeking first? Seeking first the kingdom of me. My plan, my life. And why? Well, it's because that's what everybody else is doing, right? That's what the wider culture is doing. Because that's the way of the world. It's not the way that Jesus, he's called you to something better. Like, I don't say this to condemn you. I say this to teach you like there's glory that you haven't tapped into yet. There's a life that God has for you that's richer than any life you could build for yourself. 
Right? This is an example of the weak and worthless elementary principle. Like, it's logical. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. All those things I said are logical. They make sense. They're, but the Bible calls them elementary principles, but not just elementary principles. It says weak and worthless elementary principles. You ever, like, you know how many times I talk to people and I say, well, what's the point of having kids? And they don't know. Right? Why did you have kids? What's your vision for having kids? So that they can do exactly what you just did? Work and get a job and make a bunch of money and then kind of get enslaved to the things of this world? The hope that, oh, you know what, they're going to get, they're going to become a professional athlete, and they're going to break through the system. I don't know the last time you, like, really listen to the things professional athletes are saying. They don't seem like people who aren't enslaved to this world to me. One time I watched an interview of, like, Tom Brady, and he had won, like, four Super Bowls at the time, so he still had plenty to go, unfortunately, for us all in the Midwest. Uh, and, and somebody asked him, they said, well, what's, what, you know, what's next? And he literally is like, I need more Super Bowls. <laughs> He's like, it's not enough right? You talk to Tom Brady, like, I mean, even now as he talks about being retired and where he's at, it's like, it, you can tell it's just not, this world is not enough. He has, he literally hit the pinnacle of his sport. He, you know, people call him the goat. That stands for greatest of all time, not a farm animal. Like, and, and like literally the greatest of all time uh, in, in, in football, let's be clear. Uh, and, and he's not satisfied, right? He, he achieved, like, think about this, guys. Like, the Bible tells us this. I don't have time to do my Ecclesiastes spiel. Uh, sorry, Tyler. Tyler, my Ecclesiastes man back here. Uh, but like, uh, here's the thing. Like, we have so much compared to 100 years ago. I'm going to do it a little bit. I'm going to do it a little bit. It's a helpful point. Like, if, if the guy who, 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 who achieved the most, like, he j he's not satisfied with where he, like, this world does not satisfy, right? You have, you are like, you are, you live better than a king lived a, a hundred years ago, right? And, and yet this world, the stuff of this world does not satisfy you. Like you have fruit available that you can't, you couldn't get a hundred years. You have chocolate. Like Paul never ate chocolate. Do you know that? You have it. You have as much as you want. And yet it doesn't, you, you forget it, right? We take for granted these things. Right, there are two general directions of these weak and worthless elementary principles that enslave us because they promise life and they never deliver it. One of them is works of the law. The other is the works of the flesh. Works of the law is when you give your life trying to prove yourself by your own goodness, your own effort, your own righteousness. Paul says this enslaves us and brings death. In fact, this is one of the great themes of the Bible, that you cannot, no person can save themselves, that by works of the law, no one is justified. In fact, Galatians 2, Romans, they all say this. Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Justified means made righteous. We know that a person is not made righteous by works of the law. Or rather, he's saying, we know people are not made righteous by acts of righteousness. That seems a little bit like a conundrum, right? This thing that seems logical, the Bible says, no, 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 no. You're not actually justified by works of the law. You're not made righteous by works of righteousness. But what are you, how are you made righteous? You're made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. So we've also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be made righteous, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be made righteous. And here's the thing, we can say we walk by grace, but slowly sneak into walking by our own effort. If your spiritual life right now feels fruitless, feels heavy, it feels like a burden, it feels like an afterthought, you're constantly choosing other things over spiritual life with Jesus, 
you constantly feel like you're not measuring up, you are likely walking by law and not walking by grace. Right? So you're discouraged. You feel weak. You feel powerless. Jesus tells us his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When you really see him for who he is, right? Clear recognition of who Jesus is is the thing that changes us more than anything else. Truth about Jesus, the presence of Jesus, that's what changes us. Life with Jesus. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He says he doesn't enslave, but he sets us free into glory. This temptation towards walking by effort and not by grace through faith can be subtle. We must consider ourselves, you, got, you and I, we gotta consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to the law. Romans tells us this. We've died when we come to Christ and we're now alive in Christ. He raised us to life and he transforms us as we draw near to him. The other temptation, I'm gonna spend more time on here. This is the temptation uh, that, that comes our way more often, I think, in our day and age, which is works of the flesh. You're like, works of the flesh? What's that? So you got works of the law, and you got works of the flesh. So wor- what's, what's works of the flesh? Well, works of the flesh, these are like the desires of the body. This is like the promise of this world, like that somehow pleasure, entertainment, or, or, or comfort are the things that satisfy you the most, when we know that that's not true. We binge watch shows, and you don't get to the end of the show like, oh, I'm satisfied with TV now. I don't need any more TV. You might be like, oh, I'm tired of TV, but then you're like, oh, I can't wait to find something else to binge watch. And it's like the whole time you're like, you know, uh, and sometimes you pull out the phone, you know, and you're like binge watching a show that's really got your attention and you're on the phone and you're just like, oh, you know, it's like trying to fill this dissatisfaction that we can feel so deeply, right? The Bible says we've got to consider ourselves dead to, to this way of life as well, right? So what, let's talk more about this, the works of the flesh. Well, th- I would say in a lot of ways, this is when we live in a worldly way. That is, we live as though this world is all that there is or that this world is the main thing, right? Do you live your life as though this world, like, is, is this world the thing that's mostly in your life? And I think, again, for most of us as Americans, this is the way people are living, right? This is why we call it worldly, right? Um, and uh, it's because this is the way of the world. Uh, we want to be a people who live counter to that, people who live in the way of God, not in the way of the world. Right? And this is a huge challenge because, again, most of us spend 90 plus percent of our time immersed in the way of the world, immersed in the culture of this world and not in the culture of the kingdom of God. Money, experiences, notoriety, fame, success, sex, pleasure, our own dreams, travel, our own accomplishments, on and on and on. You can keep going. If your life is spent primarily focused seeking those things, which I think is probably true for many of us, if your life is spent constantly fearing, missing out on those things, you got a lot of FOMO, i got to work now because if I don't, I'm, then I'm going to retire and then I'm going to die. Well, what happens after you die? Well, if you're in Christ, you find your life. What are you missing out on? The Bible says, God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. I would rather spend my life pursuing Christ and do whatever I can in that creation than spend my life digging into this creation that's passing away, right? Like, this one's passing away, and it's just like, the Bible's like, once you see it, it's, it makes way more sense to throw yourself fully into the life that Jesus has. If you regularly feel envious of people who seem to possess all these worldly things I just mentioned, you're being enslaved by one of the elementary principles of this world, right? How does it feel? Well, it feels debilitating. It feels depressing. It's never satisfying. You know that feeling you go, you see that place you've always wanted to see, and you can't really take it in. I remember going to the Grand Canyon, and it was almost too grand for me, you know? 
Couldn't really take it in. I was like, this is it? That's how I felt. I was like, this is it? And then, you know, you go on that vacation, you go on that trip, or you can't wait for the holidays to come around, the holidays come around, and you're like, that was it? You think, I must be doing something wrong. Yeah, I know, I'll get more, or I'll keep doing it, right? The way of this life is living from one passing experience to the next, never arriving, never feeling satisfied, always chasing something you can't quite grasp. But some voice whispers in the back of your head, just a bit more. Just a bit more. Just a little longer. And I'll finally deliver. And you get it. Just a bit more. That wasn't enough. And you are enslaved to this promise. Just a bit more. Just a bit more. Just a bit more. And you die. And Jesus says, I came to set you free. He doesn't say just a bit more. He says, I have come to give you life and give it abundantly. He says, here's eternal life, that you believe in me, the only son of God. We're not waiting on our eternal life. We're not earning it. We have received it. I feel, like, think of, like, you have all you need in Christ. The problem is not on his end. It's on your end. You don't believe that's true, right? Somewhere in you, you've believed a lie, if that's not as satisfying as it, as it, as it is meant to be. <clears throat> we wake up so often believing just a bit more. We work so often just believing just a bit more. We give up our lives pursuing it, and it's a trap that has captured every human at some point. And we can come to Christ and get distracted and turn back to this weak and worthless elementary principle of the world. Walking away from Jesus' call for our life, getting distracted for Jesus's, from Jesus' purpose in our life. And as Christians, we ourselves can turn back and get, in, get taken captive by the things of this world. And then, oftentimes, when you recognize that, maybe you're in here and you're like, oh man, I'm feeling convicted. You can then look to the way of the law, and you can think, well, now I've got to earn my way back. Right? But that's not the truth, right? You see how devious this is. The Bible says that Satan tempts us and lies to us. He discourages us, and then when we recognize, he's like, well, now you got to work for it. Now you got to earn it. No! You receive life from Christ through faith in Christ, through reckoning, right? You do repent. You do, it's, it is good to say, Jesus, I've, I'm so sorry that I've been so distracted. Lord, help me and stir me and put a fire in me. Those things that the Bible says, those things Mike was saying are like, I want this glory. I want your kingdom. I want your purpose. I want such a radical, have you ever even prayed this? Have you prayed, Lord, I want such a radical view of you that it changes me completely? Have you ever prayed, Lord, I want you to be so gloriously good that I, in my joy I give up everything, that I could have you. Jesus, here I am, send me. Have you, maybe in a sermon, you felt that for a moment, but then you get back to your life and you're like, here I am for me. And God's like, I have something better for you. I have a deeper identity. You're no longer a slave. You are a son or a daughter in the house of the king. Why are you living enslaved to that voice that says just a bit more and you'll get what you want and never delivers? If it delivers anything, it's hopelessness, it's despair, it's depression and that you feel and that you long. And so you gotta fill yourself more and never get satisfied. So it's like, it's the opposite of how Jesus works. The more you eat of it, the emptier it becomes. 
The more you taste of it, the less satisfying it becomes. So sometimes we find a variety of things. We're like, oh, this season I'm going to pursue sex, and this season I'm going to pursue entertainment, and this season I'm going to pursue intellect, and this season I'm going to pursue money, and this season I'm going to pursue, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to pursue. And the more we, we, we're like, oh, it's empty. it becomes more empty the more we use it. It becomes more life-taking. But Jesus says, here's what he says in John 8. 31 and 32, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many of you have have turned into a place where you feel like some portion, some significant portion of your life is enslaved by the way of this world, the the false hope of this world? Jesus is saying, abide in my word. See the truth. See who he is. And he will set you free, right? Because you know who, he, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He, he is the truth, and the truth wants to set you free. Jesus gives life now, promise now, goodness now. We are not working for this life. We have received it. And it comes through faith, believing in Jesus, abiding in his words, that is following him, obeying his purpose for you. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, and all the things you need will be added to you. You'll have what you need. It will feel close sometimes, right? It'll feel close sometimes. We live in a culture of abundance. Like, you gotta really walk by faith to get to a place where you really feel like great need. And I think even if I lost my house, even if I like lost all my money, even if the stock market, like, I would, I would have a place I could stay. I would have people I could stay with, right? It's like, and I've thought through this, and I'm like, why, why do I worry so much? It's like, oh, because I believed this lie, that somehow stuff is really my peace, stuff is really my security, when Jesus himself is my peace and my security. The slavery of this world is a promise that if you just go a bit more, you make a bit more, you work a bit harder, you will receive life, yet you never get it. You only get more burden, more dissatisfaction, more emptiness, more work, and less peace. Galatians 5.1, the next chapter in this book, it opens up with this line. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. All right, today, I believe Jesus wants to remind you of your identity that you are free, you are forgiven, you have all that you need in Christ. Right, don't just mentally check, like, you are free. It's true. You are forgiven and redeemed. You have all that you need in Christ. This world has nothing, nothing for you other than dead hope that enslaves. This world is passing away. Jesus is bringing a new kingdom that one day will establish itself forever and ever and ever. Are you living your life 90% in what's passing away? Are you living your life fully in as Jesus' kingdom sweeps over this world? I, I do want to say this. The band can come. Today, I, I think there's two, there's two ways to respond, and I want to give you an invitation into something as well. So I think there's two ways we can respond today, and I think there's an invitation for a way we can redirect our lives. So first, Uh, The first response I want to invite you to is is that maybe you're here and you need renewal in these things. Maybe you're here and you're feeling like burnt, you're feeling condemnation, you're feeling like, oh, I've messed up so bad. I want you to know, remember who you are. You are a son or a daughter. God is kneeling down to you and saying, come on, get up, like take my hand and walk with me. You know what you do? You take his hand, like a good toddler, (laughs) and you walk with him. That's your invitation. And he will renew you and walk with you and lift you up and dust you off and heal you. 
Or, and that's the first response. Maybe you need renewal today. We're going to have prayer teams up here. I'm going to be up here. I'd love to pray for you. The second way you can respond here today in this service is maybe you're here and you feel like I've never, I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I've never really done this and I want to know how or I just want somebody to pray for me or help me to pray. You know, earlier I said, have you ever even prayed? Lord, change me forever. Show me who you really are. Like, help me. Right? If you've never prayed that prayer at all and or you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want, you want to be set free, you want to taste this life, uh, you want to be a son or daughter and not enslaved to the empty promises of this world, today you can come forward, you can ask Christ to give you new life, to reprioritize your life. He will meet you and bless you and set you free. So those two ways you can respond here shortly as we worship, um, and you can respond anytime while we're worshiping. Again, prayer teams are up here, you just walk up here and say, hey, would you pray for me? And we will. I want to also say this, so again, uh, I, this is an invitation. Um, actually, I was feeling stirred this morning in our pre-service prayer to give this one. But here's the thing: like, we are like this. The Sunday service is great, but I want you to know, like, the real activity of our church is, is like this is not the most real thing we do. Right? We are called to be the people of God, and, and something I have been feeling stirred by and convicted by very recently uh, is is like us being a church that goes, us being a church that does ministry, us being a church that does pioneering work, breaking in new areas. Um, and, and here's the thing, if you're here and you're like, I want to do that, I want to be a part of that, I want to invite you, uh, I mean, just write that on your communication card, and, and I just, here's the thing, it just, it comes, it, like, you almost have to learn a new way of life uh, a little bit. You have to learn how to, like, okay, I've got my, you know, because obviously, I'm not saying the sermon is, like, you quit your job. It's just that you reprioritize. Like, your job isn't the main thing, like um, Jesus is, and, and so it's, like, figuring out how do I live my life in a way where I'm actually giving my time, my energy, and what, what I believe you will find is that as you give yourself to Christ in faith, as you give yourself to his purposes, you will find more freedom than you ever believed. You will find more goodness. You will find more righteousness. You will find like crazy transformation. Uh, and, and so we have some great opportunities. I'm doing some ministry at the jail. We've got like, there's, we got ministry at the pivotal point, you know, youth, youth apartments. We've, I mean, there are, there are countless opportunities. There are more opportunities than we have people in this room to fill. And, and you might have a specific gifting. And I want to be able to equip you and teach you, hey, here's what you should do. Here's some things you should do to pioneer into that new area, you know. And, and I just want to encourage you guys that if you're, like, I think a big part of seeking first the kingdom of God is, is going and doing things, right, with, not by our own effort, but with Jesus as he builds his kingdom. And, and so I just want to make that invitation, um, and I want to, I really want to see us as a church begin to transition into being uh, just, uh, like, not, not, I wouldn't even say transition. I would say this. I think we've hit first gear with the evangelism stuff this year, uh, you know, just seeing more and more evangelism through the church, heart for evangelism, but it's like, I feel like God wants to shift us into second gear in going out uh, into our city, doing pioneering work, doing ministry work, breaking into areas where, like, there are many people in our city who need reached who would never set foot in a church, but if you came to them, uh, they would be blessed. There's other churches in here. Here's one of the, the things I'd love to do. I, this feels like a, I think, right, shouldn't we be like a church where we're strategizing on a Sunday morning together? If you don't like it, I hope God changes your heart, but here's the thing, like, I, I, I'm, just, I'm literally like, there are churches in this city that, that, you know, we have immigrants in our town that have their own little churches, and, and they feel separate, they feel apart, but we have this bond in Christ, and I'm like, man, can we send people just to go make friends, just to say, hey, we're glad you're here, we're Christians as well, like, how can we bless you, how can you bless us, and, and I just believe, maybe you're here, and literally, think about how easy that is, to find a, a church from a different ethnic background, and, and to, to take a small group of people, and just go and be friendly, go and say, we want to experience worship with you, because guess what, one 
one day you will experience worship in the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus says to pray the Lord's Prayer, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're going to do that in heaven, isn't going and, and, and worshiping with other people, like us being like Jesus, we're going, instead of expecting people to come here where we're comfortable, we go there where they're comfortable. And we say, we, we learn uh, from them and we, we meet them where we're at. If you just would be interested in that, I'd love to like get a small crew that just thinks about that and begins to just develop the, I mean, it's just friendship. Um, and we have this bond, right, in Christ. Like, how beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? Uh, anyway, so if you want to do some more ministry in your life, you want to learn how to pioneer, you know, uh, I, I mean, we're doing some things in our community groups to begin shifting this. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I think this is a good thing for us. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. Uh, if you want to respond to anything that has been said this morning, again, we'll have the prayer teams up here. Heavenly Father, I do just ask that you would bless us today. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts renewal and, and new fire uh, and deeper life. God, you have given us so much in Jesus. And I just pray, let your power come and truly, genuinely encounter us today. Draw near to us. Lord, you are a father who loves his children. And Lord, we, we are in great need. Uh, we're honestly probably not even toddlers. I'm not even sure we can crawl sometimes. But Lord, you love us and you lift us up and you take us with you when you go. Father, I pray you would take this church with you into the city. Lord, I pray you would ignite hearts today. I pray you would break down idols today. Lord, I pray you would shatter the lie of this world that says, just a little more. Break that today in your powerful name, Jesus. By your authority, shatter that lie in the hearts here and show us your greater life. Lord, there are so many people in the city dying and pursuing death in this world. I pray we would be a people pursuing you and going out and inviting people into this life. Change us and have your way in us, Lord. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.